As we look this morning at the an overview of Christian counseling, uh, in your notebooks you have something there that's similar to what I'll be going over. And we need to see how what we're talking about here differs from what is uh, uh, currently known as uh, uh, Christian counseling or Christian psychology. And to do that, we need to look at some of the uh, background because <coughs> what is being practiced today is comes out of uh, uh, secular uh, foundations. And we'll look at a, a model shortly that will show you how uh, we have gone from basically uh, Freud starting off back in the early 1900s and how his work and various things uh, uh, people picked up on that and eventually the field of psychology uh, developed. And so when you look at it, psychology is a new kid on the block. Uh, they would like to leave the impression that we're encroaching upon their territory when we get into uh, working, doing soul care with people who would normally go to psychologists and psychiatrists. And yet, this is what God taught and what he gave us for 1900 years before Freud came along. And I'm not sure we benefited a whole lot uh, by uh, the work that he did uh, in psychoanalysis. But that was, that was the beginning and uh, so Freud came along uh, Kenner and Watson they came along with behavior modification so um, they worked different aspects of the human being uh, psychoanalysis had primarily to do with the mind and the unconscious and the subconscious and the preconscious and whatever uh, which had to do primarily with the mind and then behavior modification had primarily to do with the will so be mod is really will training and then some came along and did our German friends, pardon me, uh, Edmund, and uh, did some gestalt work uh, dealing primarily with the emotions. And then Albert Ellis came along and put those together and called it rational emotive uh, therapy. So combined the uh, mind and the emotions. But then uh, uh, prior to mid middle of the last century, uh, Psychologists were held suspect by the church and, and a fundamental conservative pastor would not touch a psychologist because some went so far as to say it was of the devil. And, but uh, since it's working with the psyche, psychology is basically secular and you can get Christians doing it. But even though Christians are doing it, it doesn't make the product Christian. Now they can call it Christian psychology and add some scriptures and add some scriptural principles here and there. But if they're practicing psychology and doing psychotherapy, which they are if, uh, if they're advertised as a psychologist, then what they're doing is psychotherapy. So it's doing uh, therapy on the psyche. Well, if you add scriptures to it, it doesn't make it uh, Christ-centered and cross-centered. But after mid-century, I can't remember exactly when it was, in the late 50s, uh, Clyde Dearmore came along and with uh, 
uh, radio program and various things, uh, psychology for a living and whatever. He he popularized uh, Christian psychology. Well, during that time, the uh, seminary Bible schools were not doing much in the way of uh, counseling training. And in, after he did his thing, then uh, uh, gradually the seminaries uh, began to pick up uh, uh, psychology as a field that they uh, were going to work in. In the early 70s, they began to put out uh, degrees in Christian counseling. Fuller Seminary, uh, they had the first uh, uh, degree in it. And one of our board members, uh, Carrie Lance, uh, got his doctorate uh, at Fuller. And, of course, they advertised themselves to the church. You give us your halt, your maimed and your lame, and, and uh, we'll work with them, take some loot off the pastors and all, and begin to take some uh, uh, counseling in. But the Sooners then began to see they were losing out, so they began to teach more courses in counseling. Let me ask through my survey. Brad, how many courses were you required to have in counseling to get your MDF? One, okay. That's the usual. Most I've ever heard of is two. And so, obviously, the seminary doesn't believe a pastor can do counseling or they would teach them to do it as part of their regular ministry. Now, I'm sure you had a few more courses than that in evangelism and, and, and soul winning. And... Uh, so they would teach maybe one course in counseling, which is about enough to teach you how to refer to somebody else. And they say you can do the minor band-aid stuff, but now the tough things you've got to send out to a world system development called psychotherapy. And I've been at this now over 30 years, and I haven't met the first person yet that a psychologist could cure that the Holy Spirit couldn't. I just haven't found that person because the Holy Spirit does miracles and I haven't met a psychologist or a counselor that does miracles. I certainly don't. And I don't know any psychologist or psychiatrist to do either. Now, one thing that we haven't said here, and I'd better clarify that, in all the things we're talking about, the various uh, uh, kinds of uh, maladies that people have that we see in counseling who would normally go to psychologists and psychiatrists, we're saying that those that the Spirit of God deals with uh, are those who have no organic impairment. So we're not talking about the things that where there could be a, a definite uh, malfunction of the brain, uh, such as uh, chronic schizophrenia and things like that. We're saying, though, that I believe that the vast majority of people who have living problems, and sometimes they uh, are given diagnoses, uh, by the psychologists and psychiatrists as, and they invent some letters to put after them and it makes it sound official, you know, like ADHD and those kinds of things. And people begin to think that's what they are. And I can't help it because I'm this or I'm that or the other. And uh, even things like depression, you see on the TV, if you watch those ads now and then, they, they show these uh, uh, things in the brain that are supposed to be hooked up by... Uh, uh, some kind of uh, chemical. And obviously that does happen in uh, an antidepressants and things do help with depression. But what they do not know is which comes first, the chicken or the egg. 
the depression or the chemical imbalance. And since we've seen God bring people out of clinical depression literally overnight, I guess the chemicals must get balanced out overnight too. So I'm saying that I don't believe that the majority of it has anything to do with an organic problem. When you can go back and, and review a person's life history like you've learned to do here and walk through that and see the decimation they've gone through, there's plenty of stuff back there to cause them to be uh, totally bent out of shape and their bodies affected and all like that because of having been decimated from childhood up. When you've got that much of a problem, why look for something physical when it's fairly obvious what caused the uh, uh, emotional mental problems? <clears throat> so the secular folks then graduated into the Christian psychology and then the seminaries uh, in the 70s began to put out degrees in psychotherapy and uh, where the Christian psychologists could take the role, their, their place in the marketplace and compete with the uh, secular psychologists. And of course they were trying to look like they were as good as the uh, secular psychologists. When I'm saying what we have as a message is far better than secular psychologists can even think of. And we've proven that you don't have to have uh, advanced degrees in uh, psychology or counseling to be able to help people. Because we've seen people with less than high school education become very effective. And yet the uh, seminaries going, I can't remember when they started, about was the 80s or so, where they developed their program into uh, licensing in the counseling uh, area. And now, uh, seminaries can't get students, really, unless they uh, give an education that qualifies a person for a secular license by the state. So almost every seminary, I can't say every one of them, but almost every one uh, is uh, giving out secular degrees, and they have to be a secular degree before the state would license a person. So they have to have basically the same degree. Now, they get some scriptures added to it, so I'm not saying that, that their degree isn't any better. I mean, as far as they do get some uh, uh, scriptural training that would make them uh, be able to bring the spiritual dimension into some degree. But the degree itself, their license uh, under by the state, has to be equivalent to the university degree. Why would a seminary give out a degree that's the same degree that the state university is giving. But they could do something that's vastly superior to what the university is giving. And that's what we're pleading for. And so now, uh, I can't tell you which exactly which seminaries, but I know uh, Denver, Dallas, Southwestern, New Orleans, Southeastern, uh, uh, Lynchburg, uh, uh, Fuller, uh, Trinity, all the big name seminaries uh, are advertising licensing as a draw to get the students to come in. And of course the primary thing, primary reason for the licensing is so they get paid by insurance companies. That's a, a whole thing because they could do ministry without that. Well, <coughs> today the the prominent thing is uh, uh, integration. So they integrate psychology 
and the spiritual. So it's an integration approach uh, that is being uh, offered by the uh, uh, seminaries. Now let's look at the uh, uh, Christ-centered model and the cross-centered model. And... Uh, uh, pardon? Oh, okay. So in Christian counseling, just to over the overview of it, the objective in Christian counseling is better psychological adjustment, better marriages, better employees, where they see improvement in the various things in the emotional setup or the mental setup or the behavioral. And that's what they judge by then, uh, whether they've been successful or not, if there uh, is improvement in those areas. But see, they can be successful in improving those areas. And if a person was uh, uh, in a pretty bad way, if they're improved, then they don't need to die as badly as they did in the beginning. So it delays the process. And of course, the counselor cannot teach the cross unless it's become a reality in his or her own life. But if they did teach the cross in that way, then there'd be no need for therapy. So the objective is improved uh, uh, functioning. And then the, we look at a little bit at the history of uh, uh, of spiritual therapy, and I think you've read the books enough, so we won't go through it in detail, but uh, God dealt with my life in 1965, and uh, I really didn't know what had happened to me, except I read I am crucified with Christ and God transformed my life, but I had couldn't find anyone who could tell me what had happened. If my pastor knew, he, he kept it a secret. And so I had to dig into the Word and read books and all to see what had happened to me. And uh, of course had no counsel on how to learn to walk because I couldn't find anyone in my church who understood. Later I found out there was a brother who did understand, but he didn't know what he had, so he couldn't help me. Yes, the symptoms improved a, a little bit. I, of course, I was up and up and down like a department store elevator for the next two years. But uh, I had uh, depression. I was in anxiety neuroses, if you want to put a a uh, diagnosis on it, and uh, got to the place of uh, one day in October. If I hadn't been a Christian, suicide would have been the only option because I saw death as the only way out, and I was right. It was. So I died and got over it. But, see, to experience that and then see how God can change and you learn to walk and see how to apply the various areas of your life, of course, that uh, too should come under uh, discipleship. But then, uh, two years later, God showed me if He could deliver me from so-called mental illness or emotional disturbances or whatever, He could anyone else, and uh, called me through Isaiah 15, 10, and 11 uh, to... Shall draw out thy soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted souls. Then shall thy light rise in obscurity and thy darkness be as the noonday. So it's drawing out thy soul to the hungry. And uh, as we begin to share a little bit there and work on a master's degree at night, and uh, uh, doing both the master's and the doctoral program, the uh, greatest help I had was uh, agnostics, atheists, and Jews. Christians opposed me at every step I took defending psychology. 
But, see, I went there, I didn't go there looking for an answer. I went there with an answer looking for methods to be able to communicate and to get some alphabet soup after my name so people would be, believe I knew what I was talking about. And Dr. Volsky, under whom I worked on the master's degree at the University of Colorado, I, when I first met with him, he wondered what I was, uh, my purpose was, and I told him I intended to start a new approach to counseling that take the place of psychology and psychiatry. And he was a psychologist. So he looked at me and said, will you stay around me a couple of years and I'll change your way of thinking. I know, buddy, that's a two-way street. And by the time I got finished, he told the other men on my master's committee that this was the most potent counseling technique that he'd ever heard of. Now, I don't know that he got saved, but, uh, but he saw uh, what was happening. And then we started uh, counseling the 1st of February, 1970. And God began to change lives uh, uh, from various things that they normally uh, went to therapy for or to mental hospitals or whatever. And the first staff member of PhD in psychology came in uh, August of 72. The handbook was written in 71. And so it's 30 years old now, but I, I turned that in as my dissertation or my project in lieu of dissertation on the uh, uh, doctor's degree. And there... Uh, Again, I had a Jew, a Jew by the name of Dr. Koplitz that was a great help uh, in the council. had me teach his class for a whole week for three times uh, because when I finished my course, uh, or one course called Analysis of the Individual, and the purpose of that course was to develop, to develop your uh, counseling model with uh, uh, procedures for implementation. Well, I was rather busy because I was counting about seven, eight hours a day and speaking on weekends and, and taking a full load and a doctor, of course, at the same time. And so it took me a little while. It took me two weeks to get the time to finish that course. And so I finally got the time and wrote up my, my model and put it together because it's just what I was telling people every day. So I just wrote it down and, and gave it to him and I was finished. Uh, but once he read that, he saw that, in fact, he told me at the end of the course that I think I was the only one who got an A on the course, but he said I, I, I was the only one that had a, uh, a model of counseling that had every component it was supposed to have. The rest of them would take a little Freud and a little this and a little that and try to put it together, and it, it didn't work too good in its pure form. It worked less good in its uh, mixed-up form. But then he had me teach a class, a whole week of classes, three hours on one night, uh, three different times, and... Some of the people, they, they forget to take notes. They got so enthralled in it. And, but the Christians took me on from the floor and resisted. Here I am presenting the gospel to a bunch of rank heathen, and they fight me on the floor. So this one brother, I happen to remember that I was the professor that night and invited him rather firmly to shut up. <laughs> I didn't say it quite that way, but he got the point. Now, when I walked out that door, I'm free game. game. He could attack me all he wanted to. But when I'm presenting the gospel, his place is to pray, not to attack. Well, he never did quite understand that, but he did shut up. So I was able to finish it. Well, <clears throat> the objective of spiritual therapy, then, is not improved functioning, because improved functioning 
makes a person worse. So they can be helped psychologically so that they think better, talk better, feel better, and have a better marriage and better as an employee on the job and things like that. But if that's a case of improved flesh, which is what psychology does, then spiritually speaking, the bottom line is a net loss. Because they, as they improve for their symptoms, they don't need a spiritual answer as badly as they did before. At least they don't have the perceived need that they did before. And so they can be cranked up and feel better and go on another five or ten years until they finally crash and burn and, and they can't get out of it uh, psychologically. And of course that's at the point where they're easiest to work with because at that point they're in utter desperation and those are the easiest to work with except for the suicidal. They're really the easiest. So if a person is suicidal they want to get rid of themselves if they're serious you just get them and God together on that and show them how they can get rid of themselves. And they die and get over it. That lady, I may have mentioned her last week, that was, uh, I mentioned the diabetic gal, I can't remember who I told about what. But anyway, she was diabetic in her 50s. And her husband, the louse, just came in and announced he had, was in his umpteenth affair. And she decided, I, I hate you so much, I'm going to kill me. So she's going to kill herself because of what he had done. And so a neighbor heard the argument, a uh, loud discussion through the window and called to see if I had time. I said, yes, I do. And so she came over and we got that background and then I laid out the answer that you've seen this week. And when I laid that out. Uh, I asked her, uh, if, uh, if I could show you a way to die and stay here, would you be interested? And she said, yes, she would. And she did. And she found victory. And so when you look at situations like that, that for therapy, it's so complicated because they've got a myriad of symptoms to work on. But in the goal of spiritual therapy is to lead them to the cross. And that's only one thing to deal with, the self-life. That's always the problem, unless they're lost and it's the old man. But the objective is to lead them from where they are to the cross, either for salvation or identification, or both. And so it's not talking about improved functioning, but once they come out on the other side in resurrection life, obviously the functioning is going to be different. When the mind is renewed and the emotions begin to be healed and, and the Holy Spirit does a flat-out miracle in their lives. And unless the Holy Spirit does a miracle, nothing's going to happen because we're not doing therapy. Well, let's look at this uh, new model of uh, counseling now, uh, number six. Uh, there, uh, slide number six. I'm going to six, yeah. So if, you can, if you can zip on over to... Number six. This, uh, this one. Right. <laughs> there it is. 
Yes, if you can turn over to that, this is a little bit out of order there, of course, but uh, we can look at the overview first and then come back and look at the uh, uh, process that we go through. We roughly did this on the board, if you remember, last week, but uh, uh, here is uh, starting off with the person, there's a, and they're walking usually according to the flesh. Now, they may be on the resurrection side of the cross and having problems afterward, but typically it's people who do not understand uh, the uh, a way that they can be set free by the Holy Spirit. And so, the, if you want to see what their walk after the flesh is like, what is the problem? Are they coming in with depression or anxiety or homosexual sin or uh, being anorexic? Or So they've come in with something that's uh, bad enough uh, that they have to get some help. And ordinarily, they see that as the problem because usually it's been diagnosed as the problem. Because with a psychologist, depression is the problem. With us, depression is the symptom of a deeper problem. And a lot of flights from reality that people take are where they run away in their own heads from something they cannot face. So they need to see how they can face reality through reality with a capital R where they get in touch with reality. But the situation in Christianity being what it is, most of the people that we uh, deal with are out of touch with reality. Huh? Now, it doesn't mean they don't know what's going on, but reality is the Lord Jesus Christ. And if they haven't found out how he can meet the deepest needs, in that sense, they're out of touch with uh, reality. And so once we get that... Uh, presenting problem, whatever they think their problem is, and, and may have been diagnosed as such, then we want to look at that uh, situation uh, in terms of their past history. And so that bottom line that you see there uh, is the fleshly identity, and you want to get that history and, and then summarize that with the wheel diagram uh, so that they can see uh, verbally what their history is, they can see graphically and then later on, at the end of the uh, Get Acquainted session, we had to use a Taylor Johnson test so I could see it in uh, a testing apparatus where they answer the questions themselves. So the first part of it then is helping to see what the fleshly identity is, or in other words, to see what is the problem. And the problem is the flesh, not what they're presenting. So we know what a person's problem is before they sit down. If they're lost, it's the old man. If they're saved, it's flesh. And the flesh has many different manifestations. You can look at Galatians 5, 22, 3, and 4 and show you uh, what some of those uh, manifestations are. But it's manifested a lot in psychological or symptoms or living problems. And of course, those can be termed uh, uh, neurosis or psychosis. Now, we don't do a lot of dealing with psychotic people because psychotic people are, by definition, out of touch with reality. And unless they have someone to take care of them in between times, take care of physical needs and one thing or another, you can't work with them, of course, in counseling. So typically they have to be uh, hospitalized because at present that's the only way uh, they can be taken care of. <coughs> I did deal with one psychotic individual back in... When I first started, I didn't have enough sense to know that the Lord couldn't do that, so I dealt with him. 
and the Lord brought him out of it in three interviews. But he had been diagnosed with uh, paranoid schizophrenia and was uh, uh, just out of the mental hospital the second time when God uh, uh, did a work in his life and, and released him from that. And so, uh, 90% of the answer is correctly diagnosing the problem. Because if you let them think that depression is their problem or anorexia is their problem, well, you take a thing like anorexia. Even with Christian psychologists and all working on that, typically they would be seen at least a year. That's a short-term treatment, is a year. But typically they have a psychologist working with them. They have a, maybe a psychiatrist, but at least a psychologist, a medical doctor, maybe a nutritionist, uh, have three or four or five specialties working on them when the problem is spiritual and they're just doomed to failure. Yeah, they may get them to eat after a while and gain a little weight, but they haven't touched the problem. And yet we've seen God bring people out of things like anorexia and bulimia in one or two interviews. And it's not because of our counseling expertise, it's just helping them see what the problem is, what the answer is. And the Holy Spirit does the work. And you can do the same thing. You can be used to help a person see what the real problem is, and that's the reason for whether you're doing this in a restaurant over a, uh, a napkin like John does, uh, so you draw the things out on a napkin and show them what the answer is, and you can see a person's life radically transformed over lunch with diagrams on a napkin. And I promise you that psychologists and psychiatrists never see that take place in their entire lifetime because they're not depending on a miracle and uh, Kerry Lance told us that uh, in all of his uh, uh, work at Fuller Seminary, because he was at Fuller when I was first starting counseling and when the, first, when the handbook first came out, but he had never heard of our approach to counseling. He has not taught us. We were one of the odd guys, you know, out there because we're out of the mainstream of psychology. And he hadn't even heard of it. But he said that the, the training that he had, the articles he reads about and continuing education and everything, uh, they never even mention transformational change. They don't even talk about that because they never see transformation. Reformation, yeah, they see people change some, but transformation they don't even talk about. So I'm not saying how long does it take them to see them transformed because they don't see them transformed. And so getting a person's complaint, why did they come in? Maybe they're about to be divorced or uh, lose another significant relationship or uh, whatever's going on. But then look at that in context of their entire life background. And once you see that and you culminate that with the wheel diagram to help them see that self is the real problem. We had a, a man that was sent an engineer that was sent in by a friend of mine. And uh, his, I guess his wife had left him. Anyway, they were have major problems. And so when I laid that out and showed him the wheel diagram and the line, he went back to my friend the next day and says, that guy laid me wide open in 15 minutes. Now, when he saw that, he saw he was the problem, not his marriage. Well, that's when you diagnose the problem and see that the self-life is it, then you can look at the answer. But if you think it's anxiety and 
all anger and all these things, that's the problem, and you're going to be working on how to manage anger. And you can make a lot of money teaching people how to manage, manage anger. You can have even old seminars on it. So there's all kinds of seminars on dealing with symptoms. A whole seminar on how to deal with depression. So each malady the person has, you have to use a different set of psychological tools on them. But we only have one set of tools. In fact, only one instrument, the cross. And it works for everyone. It's like buying socks, you know. Uh, you see on the counter, one, one size fits all. Well, it's one answer fits all. So you don't have to learn to deal with it. Yeah, it's good to see where they're coming from and what their complaints are so you can see how to communicate with them. But as long as they're able to handle reality and truth, then you can present the answer to them. And then, like we said last week, what it is is leading a person from point A to point B. Where they are, point A, point B is a cross. So you're leading a person, to, a lost person, to the cross for salvation. You're leading a Christian to the cross for identification. So the sinner sees that Christ died for them, and the selfer sees they died with him. And the Holy Spirit has to make both a reality. So a person can pray all kinds of sinner's prayers, but if the Holy Spirit doesn't show up, nothing's going to happen. You can pray all kinds of selfish prayers and learn all things about the exchange life and all, but unless the Holy Spirit shows up and makes it reality inside, nothing's going to happen. Except they might get more hardened to the truth that they need. <coughs> let's go to that uh, diagram number, uh, let's see. It's five, I guess. And uh, Yeah. If you look at that, we won't go over it in detail, but the top half there shows we divide the field of counseling into two parts, secular and Christian. The top half over there is the secular approaches. And uh, uh, the first one you have is uh, the uh, uh, Freud, of course, and the psychoanalysis. That's where it all started. <clears throat> now that came transactional analysis and then the cognitive therapies of various kinds. The next one is uh, behavior modification, dealing with the will. And the next one's phenomenologicals, and uh, uh, Rogers, Rogerian counseling, uh, uh, was the primary uh, beginning of that. And then the last one we put transpersonal, where there is uh, spiritual intervention, but it's the wrong spirit. And it can be trans transcendental meditation, Eastern religions, witchcraft, and all kinds of those that come under that heading. So those are the. Uh, secular approaches, the four basic schools of thought. And uh, then the Christian one, I divided that into two, or the, the uh, psychological and the theological. And the psychological ones obviously are taking the world system things from up above, hopefully not the last one, but <clears throat> the first three. And so the first one is the analytic or cognitive, and these are all from a Christian perspective, adding scriptures of various degrees to it. The Gestalt approaches and Christian psychologists doing that one. And then uh, the rational emotive, Albert Ellis did it, but Christians pick it up and baptize it and, and call it Christian. And the inside therapies, you have seminaries using Rogerian counseling, uh, a humanistic model. And then the last one's eclectic. The eclectic is a little more honest. He said, I don't have anything that works. I'll try all the above. Hope something works. And uh, so the therapies uh, result in strength and flesh. The theological approaches down to the uh, bottom line 
See, I tend to bottom line things, and you'll see we're on the bottom line. So, uh, divide, develop, divide, divide, if I can say it straight, theological approaches into those who are uh, uh, law and grace. The law, however it's applied, is, results in strengthening the flesh. Biblical principles can be applied throughout. But unless the cross is involved, then it, it results in strengthening the flesh using scriptural principles to do that. The bottom here is uh, uh, grace, and that's uh, the law was doing in order to be. Grace is being in order to do. And so the scriptural principles are applied, and the word of God's applied, but the cross becoming a reality, and the life is transformed by the Holy Spirit and the word of God. So on the secular approaches up above, the cross is denied. They say there is no such thing. It doesn't make any difference anyway. The Christian psychology approaches the cross is denied or yeah yeah denied above I can't read my own writing here and it's decried and then denied and the theological approaches it's applied uh, implied and the one we're doing the cross is applied now I'm not saying Christian psychology would deny the uh, cross for salvation we're talking about uh, for therapy for the deeper uh, work for working those kinds of problems. So in pure psychotherapy, the cross is not involved in that. That's not saying that there are no psychologists that teach the cross, but if they taught it as their primary method goal, there'd be no reason for their, them to do therapy. <coughs> okay, the bottom line there, if we if we use the neuthetic counseling as the... Uh, I guess the best known approach to applying biblical principles in counseling. Uh, in that approach, I developed and made popular by Dr. J. Adams. And in that is a teaching uh, really put-offs and put-ons, uh, using scriptural principles. This is what the Word of God says, now you do it, but not showing people that it has to be the cross involved so they can do it. So it's obeying scriptural principles, this is what the Word of God says, you do it, or don't do it, as the case may be. Put off and put on. And uh, so, like I said, it's neuthetic counseling. There are other approaches using law. Uh, now, they wouldn't uh, apply the Scriptures maybe quite as directly, but if they're doing a Christian approach and using the Word of God and, and leaving the cross out of the process, then the product, product they're going to get is improved flesh. So uh, that's still doing in order to be. Keeping the scriptural law and, and dealing with sin uh, properly, except not dealing with the source, not dealing with the flesh by the cross. Yes? You call that performing for approval. Yeah, some of it we think we'd get God's approval by keeping his rules and laws and scriptural principles. and. And it's doing in order to be, or not doing. Whereas, when we understand the cross, it's being in order to do. Let's see, what else do we have covered there so that I can stay almost within my time frame? Uh, looking at the methodology, we've covered that, I think, pretty well. Uh, there's getting acquainted, taking history, you've learned to do that. The Taylor-Johnson uh, uh, test is used to help them to 
understand their behavior a little better. And then we've talked about identity, which is a fundamental construct, so it's trading one identity for the other, trading a fleshly identity for the Christ identity. This comes under the introduction to the methodology, if you can find that in your... And defining the problem... I thought it was in there. Maybe I've got more slides here than we've got. What page? Yeah. So we say identity here is fundamental because we have to lose our lives in order to save it. We have to lose one identity to live out of another one. So identity is fundamental, but we have uh, groups today that are teaching and emphasizing primarily identity. And uh, they can teach all, all the identity we are in Christ. But people say, well, boy, that's great. I'm, that's who I am. I'm going to live out of that identity. So they choose to live out of another identity and bypass the cross in the process with some approaches to counseling. And so the only way we can live out of our resurrection identity is go through crucifixion. So with a lot of those, I, don't, I wouldn't disagree with most of what they're teaching on identity, but how do you get there? Is that a choice we make or is it a revelation of the Holy Spirit where the cross becomes a reality and we can live out of a resurrection life identity? So defining the problem would be defining the problem as the flesh with psychological, behavioral uh, symptoms. And then from there you print God's, present God's solution and the wheel and the line to help them see what their new identity is and how they should get it. And uh, of course the overall goal is revival or transformation in a person's life by having their mind renewed, the behavior changed, and the emotions uh, healed. Realizing it's going to take a time for the healing of the emotions. Okay, Taylor Johnson, uh, some of you could use that if you have a master's degree or better to buy the materials or have somebody in your church that does, uh, then you could use it, but it's, uh, it's the only one we really use. It's a temper, temperament analysis to help people see to write down and answer 180 questions about themselves to see how they're functioning. And when they write that down, they can see where they are on nine different uh, uh, traits, such as anxiety and, and uh, uh, nervousness, depression, active social. So they can see uh, whether there's anger displayed, and if there is anger, how, is that, uh, how does that show up on the test? And so that, you know, if most of you have taken it here uh, last week, or no, First part of this again. Uh, would it be uh, good to come back a year later, two years later, to the same test again? Yes, we, we encourage people to leave us a copy of the test so we can do a pre-test and a post-test. And usually it takes close to a year before they can, once God has transformed their lives, before they can take the test again. <coughs> yeah, well, if you were a basket case, you're not going to get over being a basket case overnight. You can have the answer, but the emotional healing it may take a, to get reacquainted with stuff so you can answer the questions different, and uh, yeah, it, it'll change drastically within a year after that. Uh, okay. Uh, let's look at the next model here on the. Uh, 
Uh, let's see. I guess it would be number number. Uh, Okay, now here I'm just uh, depicting a little bit to show that uh, because of the forces that uh, uh, impinge on us as we, from the time we're born and grow up, uh, depending on what kind of circumstances we're under, it could uh, uh, do damage to our personalities. And uh, most of our personality traits, about three-fourths, are developed by the time we're three or four years old. So that means in those early years, uh, our personality, I'm showing it being constricted where it's not able to function properly and uh, it may stay that way. And then the law of sin and death has the downward pull. The law of spirit of Christ and life. Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has an upward pull. Is that is that not in their book? Okay. Let's go then. Let's go the next one then. That's that one. We just threw a couple of extra in here. Now there's one. <coughs> but that's showing that we can have various kinds of problems with the personality and we can function. Well, let's, let's look just real quickly at these other diagrams and you'll, uh, I think you'll see what the... Okay, see, we're showing here the constriction of the person. Now, those uh, sin problems of life, the world, the flesh, and love, all those things that, to constrict the personality here so, it, so it's not functioning the way it should. And the law of sin and death is applied and all of that. And so the person has not gone to the cross yet. Uh, come on in. Yeah, the uh, the spiritual therapy model. Pardon me. No, that may not be. But the idea here, the constriction of personality and the death, uh, is in your uh, book. And so you see, once a person then comes to the cross and the Holy Spirit releases them, then he can open up the personality, the fullness of the Spirit to work the way it's supposed to work. And uh, so you have the fleshly identity, the spiritual identity, and of course then the daily walk afterwards, or we can say the person has crossed the Jordan and is in uh, uh, Canaan. This is a time in the wilderness. We have another one. And this one just summarizes it where you have the, uh, the spirit of uh, or the law of sin and death uh, with a downward pull. And, of course, then you have the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus with the upward pull, the opposition there, the lust between the uh, flesh and the spirit, Galatians 5.17 uh, going on there. 
and then once we come to the cross and uh, enter into the fullness of the Spirit, there's still going to be some conflict between the flesh and the Spirit. But now we can, on a daily basis, deny ourselves and take up the cross and, uh, and deal with that conflict. It's learning the walk in the Spirit. I know will be more said about that. Now, is there any, any question on the, that? I'll give you time to interact a little bit here. Okay. Uh, I was saying about this uh, uh, constriction of the personality where we're not functioning the way we're intended to function, which uh, can lead to uh, a crisis in our own uh, performance, whether it's on the job and especially in relationships, because we have a sort of a, a dwarfed personality in some areas of life where we might be emotionally inhibited or not being able to express love and and all the way we should are not being able to receive it. And so, you know, we have a, to some degree, a defective receiver and maybe a defective transmitter. And if you have a partner that's got a defective receiver and a defective transmitter, it gets wild, you know. <laughs> and so to try to work that situation out, you know, to what to, who's doing what to whom is ridiculous, in my standpoint, and that encompass the majority of marriage and family counseling. But if you take each individual and uh, uh, lead them to the cross, so if the husband comes to the cross and the wife comes to the cross, then you've got two different people and you're going to have a different relationship. That's not saying everything is, is gone, but now if self is dealt with, they don't have to defend themselves and fight for what they think, right? Yeah, you know, and they can look at their life and so evaluate it from an objective standpoint, and they can even share together about it and discuss it and pray and fellowship instead of fighting over it. And so as that constriction is let go and they are able to, to flow and, and let the life of the Lord Jesus come out, you can see how it can make a, a major difference in the uh, relationships. So uh, I tend to see people alone, not together in marriage counseling. Now, once they, at least one of them gets to the cross, then we can look at the other side because if one life is, is transformed, the relationship's going to be different even though the other one hasn't caught up yet. So then I might have a little time together, but typically it's mostly after both understand that we begin to look at the relationship. Okay, well, I think if, if you don't have questions, I've used up about all of my time, but I, I trust you'll be praying now, looking at your own life, at your church, that you're a part of, and, and see uh, how the equipping soldiers of the cross has got to be done. Some boot camp has got to be done in a hurry. You know, try to train soldiers after they're in the war is very difficult. And to build a Damn, when the river is already flooded, a little late. It's sort of like a roof, a leaky roof. You know, when it isn't isn't leaking, you don't need to fix it. When it's raining, you can't. And so we need to look and and prepare. So if you could. Uh,
pray for us uh, that God will provide us the wherewithal uh, uh, those finances and the uh, facilities we to make as much material as we need to make available on the web. Our webmaster says he needs probably two programmers to get all that developed and on there so they can be used by the church worldwide. And of course, two programmers, uh, they got to have a place to sit and a computer to work on and, and they get in the habit of eating too. And so it's going to take some funding to be able to be a resource for the church. It's what we've always wanted to do, but we've had few pastors that will take us up on it. And uh, we can't do it. We don't intend to do it. But we'd like to train some trainers in the body that could make mass training available within the church. Some could be done on site. And if we could get you know, a lot of pastors together in one place and we could give them basic training to see what needs to be done, that could be a, if you get pastors from all over the country, they could multiply in a hurry. So pray for us that uh, God will show us how we can be effective and be used effectively uh, to come alongside uh, our pastors in the church to, uh, to help them do the equipping that the hour is awfully late for. Maybe too late, I don't know. Let's pray. Father, we come to you confessing our sin as a people as a church and Lord that we haven't prepared the believers in our church for spiritual ministry and so the vast majority have never experienced revival and we know revival is our only hope as a nation Lord burden our pastors that they may first be revived themselves and then that they may see that it's possible to equip all the believers in the church to communicate and articulate the message of revival and see revival spread throughout the body, throughout the city, state, country, the nation, and where we can begin to export spiritual truths instead of the garbage that we put out, the porno and all the other stuff that's going out of this country today. So, Lord, we just ask you to have mercy on us and our country and our churches and pour out your spirit, Lord, that, and convict all of us of what needs to happen in our lives if we're going to be part of the uh, answer instead of part of the problem. So we might be equipped as a mighty, ar- your mighty army walking lockstep with the Holy Spirit and seeing you transform us and transform those with whom we come in contact. Thank you for my brothers and sisters here, Lord. I pr- trust that this uh, three days together now will be uh, led of your spirit that you'll anoint Brother John, Brother Carey, Brother Stoney. And Lord, that some equipping might take place here, some challenging, and a burden. Brother and sister may go with a burden to, to share uh, wherever they are from here on. We might see you transform lives, revival take place, that you may be glorified, and the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ might be uh, moved Uh, not only in this country but other countries as well so we look to you Lord for your protection your mercy and your grace as we uh, purpose to do what you called us to do for we ask it in Jesus name and for his sake Amen